Scrapple fans, and welcome to the eighth instalment of this daily dose of diatribes about the drama of the squared circle that is Let Me Tell You Something's rerun the rivalry. Where myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co host Simon Cross are talking about all the matches of the rivalry between Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi, which defined a lot of the 2010s for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it's a rivalry that at this stage is so big, there's basically only one arena to host it now. Simon, where are we? Uh, We are at Wrestle Kingdom 9, where the winner of the 2014 G1 Climax, Kazuchika Okada is challenging the IWGP heavyweight champion, Hiroshi Tanahashi. So even though Tanahashi pledged to never challenge Okada for the title, as we've explained previously, there's nothing to stop Okada challenging Tanahashi. Okada didn't read the fine prints. <laughs> I'll say this now, because I wasn't saying that the first Wrestle Kingdom was a disappointment, but it did feel like a slight step down from the two previous well at least the previous match mm. which was the dominion match this one does feel like a slight step down from the invasion attack and the king of pro wrestling match yeah but not as steep a step down like if i was to rate this match it'd be a four and three quarters but it would be a four and three quarters closer to a four and a half than it is a five. Okay, okay. So I don't know. I wonder what it is that makes it that way. Maybe because it weirdly, again, it didn't feel as epic as I maybe expected it to. Almost in length as well, as weird as it sounds. Which I guess is a compliment that when it was clear we were going into the finishing straight, I thought, oh, we've barely started yet. So that's, you know, a reason why it's a really, 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 really good match. Hmm. But again, I guess it's because they know that there's more to go with this story. And it is clever how they do it and how they change the dynamics. What amazes me with these matches when you're watching them is they all have some sort of unique quality to them. Mm. And this one's no difference. To me, the story of this match is Okada getting a reality check. Yeah. And learning that there's more to it than he thought. Because... Going into the match, he just thinks this is a formality. And halfway into the match, he feels like this whole thing's been a formality. And then just suddenly, Tanahashi starts surprising him by not going down. Yeah. And it seems like Okada didn't prepare himself for the war that he had to go through with this match. Whereas a man like Tanahashi in this position, he'd gone, obviously, through the heartbreak last time when he fought Okada. He's gone, like, on a sidestep. He ended up in that title match with AJ Styles. He's got the title. He's got the main event of Wrestle Kingdom again. This opportunity wasn't really meant to happen. Like It wasn't really on his radar when he like had his heart broken last time round. Where could he go? An opportunity has been thrust upon him, and he's going to grab this with both hands. He's going to be hitting the gym hard. Hard for Tanahashi levels of hard, because... Let's face it, Tanahashi's baseline is more than most mortal men could ever even dream of. This this is it for him. He needs this. Because if he loses to Okada, the thing he's just got, the IWGP heavyweight title, not only has he immediately lost it, but then he's got to play a long waiting game for someone else to take it off Okada to get it back. 
Well, this is where Tanahashi shines the brightest. It's like you don't want to fight The Undertaker in a cell. Or at Mania. You don't want to fight Stone Cold Steve Austin in a no-holds-barred brawl. You don't want to face Tanahashi in a one-on-one match at Wrestle Kingdom. What I thought about this match, though, was that looking back at it, and one of the things I've said is that, like, New Japan do really good stories of making each person in a story feel like they're the hero in their story and that they have a narrative that's going through. Yeah. There's not necessarily going to peak, but it's going to have its peaks and troughs. It's not going to end on the peak necessarily because of how Japanese wrestlers work. They very rarely go out on top. Mm. Jushin Thunder Liger pretty much was past his peak for about 20 years of his wrestling career still to go. <laughs> That's just like a lasting so long. I don't think we planned, no one planned for that. So with Tanahashi, I guess the story is that he is still the number one there and that Okada, whilst he conquered Tanahashi in almost like the day-to-day world of like the sumo halls, he's beaten him in the sumo halls. He hasn't beaten him in the Wrestle Kingdoms. And also one significant factor as well to put into this context is that the year before... After Okada had defeated Tanahashi and Tanahashi was supposed to never challenge him again, in in theory, unless they were drawn against each other in the G1 Climax, they'd never wrestle each other again. Yeah. Unless it was this unlikely circumstance. What Okada hasn't been able to do is overtake Tanahashi as the ace still. And so he thinks, well, if I beat him at Wrestle Kingdom, then it'll be a formality and I've beaten him everywhere else quite consistently. You know, the Wrestle Kingdom of two years previous was the last time Tanahashi had beaten him. Yeah. In the three matches they've had after that, Okada beat him decisively on two of those occasions and was theoretically in control on the third occasion when the time limit expired. Yeah. That Tanahashi threw everything at him and he couldn't take it. But again, there's a difference. And two months after Okada's defeated Tanahashi and Tanahashi can't defend for the IWGB heavyweight title again, the fans literally vote that they'd rather see Tanahashi challenging for the number two title in the promotion, overseeing Okada and Naito wrestle for the number one title of the promotion. Now, one guy takes that a lot worse than the other. I was going to say. He's not, he's not in this match. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sets Naito off on his spiral with um, everything, especially... What's Naito's and Tanahashi's relationship like? Well, it's much more emotive, really, than the one he has with Okada, even. Naito never hated Okada, I don't think, the way that he hated Tanahashi. Mm. If you watch when Naito starts his heel turn, he mostly just does the nonchalant, he's not going to bother with you. Yeah. Except when it comes to Tanahashi. And with Tanahashi, when he fought him, he was like brutal, like vicious. Yeah, okay. And when he beat him, he's similarly to Okada, when Okada beats him for the first time, like poses over his prone body in the ring i see okay okay and the wrestle kingdom two years from now is naito facing tanahashi for the iwgp intercontinental title at, at the tokyo dome so, <laughs> so there's all sorts of conflicted things with naito tanahashi is more like a it's more paternal it's more father son i think right than okada naito that's a different story for a different a different rerun the rivalry maybe down the road <laughs> potentially potentially whilst okada doesn't lash out about this situation and then make it his life's work to like destroy the intercontinental title he clearly must be part of his mind's like well this doesn't make any sense and again his whole thing going into this like i've done everything right well again i think that's more the naito thing 
I think Okada just thinks, like, well, until this old man gets the message, I'll just keep beating him. And as I said, for most of the first half of this match, it's pretty much Okada in complete control. It's Again, it's so fascinating to see the levels of control. Like, he controls as much of this match, almost in the same way that Tanahashi controlled so much of the King of Pro Wrestling match. Yeah, I'd go along with that. You've got his early outside-the-ring dominance, as where, it, where he takes it to the next level. Like I noticed that this is the first match since the last Wrestle Kingdom match to have a, a move on the ramp. So I, I imagine that's a spot they reserve for that. But this time he hits heavy rain on the ramp. So again, one of the things that started to be Okada's unraveling in the previous match is something that he's able to overturn. And as you say, pretty much everything goes his way until he does the Rainmaker pose. But, like, the feeling out process is slower, but still, in uh, at all these points, like, Tanahashi, not only does he get to do his cocky slap in the forearm, in the corner, he then immediately follows it up with a forearm, so he has to do both the condescending thing and hurt him as well. <laughs> For me, that was a sign that Okada's taking uh, Tanahashi seriously, like, more so than usual, because he's, he's been here before, he's done Wrestle Kingdom before, and it didn't go his way. See, I don't think he is taking Tanahashi more seriously insofar as... It, if you argue that he's taking him more seriously and that he's controlling him, I think it's more just... It's just the, the way that it is. Okada is physically superior to him. But the mistake he makes is underestimating him and thinking that he's going through the formalities and then the second half is his gradual unravelling. And Tanahashi continues to surprise him with things he can't see coming. Like, the knee attack really gets to him. Yeah. And for the first time ever, in all the times they've done this sequence, and they even did the sequence earlier on in the match, where Okada takes him outside, whips him into the barricade, boots him over the barricade. The second time he tries to do it, when Tanahashi finally gets a bit of an opening with the knee attack. Yes. When he tries to go at him with the boot the knee has slowed him down enough that Tanahashi's able to drop kick him in the knee. Yeah. And then send him out over the barricade himself and hit the biggest high five flow I think we've ever seen from Tanahashi, arguably. He covers the flipping barricade. He full on goes for it. From there, you're right with in terms of like volume of offense. So I have Okada on the offense after that point five times. Compared to like Tanahashi, I say on the offense, I'm hitting, I'm talking like singular moves. There's no like combo like Tanahashi's hitting. It's it's just like a uppercut, a a desperation rainmaker. After Tanahashi hits the rainmaker pose, it's a German suplex. It's a drop kick. It's not Tanahashi basically throwing out. I think in this match he hits five. No, six successful high fly flows. Yeah, and that's the thing about him always making sure to vary things up. One of the only things that I can remember of Okada varying things up is still like him having to improvise from Tanahashi because Tanahashi has the corner drop kick scouted now. So Okada has to come up with different moves. And yeah. so when he gets him up on the corner, instead of going for the drop kick, he charges at him with a forearm that knocks him to the outside. And I watched this with Japanese commentary, and I picked up that they said drop kick. So they were discussing, hey, he usually does a drop kick there, so... Ah. Did you watch it again with... Was yours, like, 
of the day commentary or was it retrospective More, commentary? It's still, it's still archival at this point. Uh, Kevin Kelly and Tino. So it's not archival as in it's from the original archives. It's archival as in they're looking back at the archives. Correct. That's what I mean, the second one. Yeah, like now you continue to rephrase words to your own benefit. <laughs> A little bit. Oh, another thing that Okada adds, but I don't. I wonder if it's for this match or if it's just something he added in the 14 months between matches. Is he now does that Eddie Guerrero sent on Atomico? I think he did it in the previous match. I don't recall him doing it in that match. I'm almost certainly does. Basically, it's a newish move from him. Yeah. We're starting to see more of the Okada that we know now. Still not got the proper Tanahashi theme yet. That annoys me. It is weird that it doesn't... It seems like he doesn't get the Go Ace song until he's technically not the Ace anymore, it seems. Do you reckon that's like one of those like self-help things? Like, if I say it enough, I am it. Well, I think it's almost like a Professor Emetrius, you know? It's like having tenure. Yeah. He's the Ace in concept, like... Like the way that every president of the United States is still called Mr. President, even after they've left office. Mm, mm. Did that work for the Pope when I was briefly two popes? I've no idea. Your former holiness. Your once was holiness. Your holy less than before. I, I, I realise asking a man with a, uh, well, a lapsed Irish Catholic style upbringing was, was a bit of a reach in terms of like current Catholic affairs. <laughs> But yeah, Tanahashi just always seems to have... Like, I love how he can bait Okada. Mm. He'll run the ropes knowing that Okada wants to hit him with a drop kick. And so we'll know to... Put the brakes on. Put the brakes on. He knows that Okada's going to try and kick him if he ducks down for a backdrop. So that he's waiting for that foot to come. And so he can catch that foot and do the dragon screw. And as you say, he changed things up. He improvises. He does various high fly flows in different situations that Okada doesn't see coming in different types. You got the cross body. You got him literally doing it onto him whilst he's tied up in the ropes. Yeah. After his dragon screw leg whipped. And he's changing up the dragon screw leg whips as well. Yeah, he inverts them sometimes now. He does like two different inversions in a way. Because he does it where instead of... Usually he'll whip him with his arm towards where like his elbow will be pointed at where the other foot is yeah so if he's got okada up by his right foot he'll use his right arm to whip him so that he goes over his other leg yeah whereas he surprises him by grabbing his right arm and whipping him with his left uh, grabbing his right leg and leg whipping him with with the left arm left arm yeah that sends okada the other way and similarly when he catches him in the ropes he does the dragon screw leg whip, but instead of doing it underneath the knee, so sort of where the, the joint is, he does it on the on the kneecap itself to change things up. That's down to two things. I think that's down to he's trained, he's he's got this unique opportunity to like be champion again. He's not gonna let it go. And also, because he is the ace, he has just a little more self assurance about what he can do. More than potentially Okada does. One of the things that I loved in this match as well was that even though as much as we enjoy the changing things up by Tanahashi by targeting Okada's arm in both the Invasion Attack and the King of Pro Wrestling matches, Mm. he doesn't do it this time. He goes back to the knee and it ultimately pays off for him. Like every time he's won a match has been by a knee attack and as really tough as the arm attack was for Okada to get past, he ultimately was still able to go through. And I think that that's also because 
It just seems that the knee attack just slows Okada down, and the key for Tanahashi is to be able to counter him and to overtake him and to regain control quickly. And if Okada has a, a weakened leg, that just does more to him because it does slow him down. As I was saying earlier, he slows him down when he's running to do the drop, to do the big boot over the barricade. And also, whilst Tanahashi does return to going back to the knee, he does still keep changing it up, though, with his use of high-fly flows, where he does them, when he does them, how he does them, to the point that he even does a high-fly flow onto Okada when Okada's caught up in the ropes after the knee attack. Yeah, you're right, the variance as well. It's like, I found all these new ways to get this. Like, you might have your, like, surprise Rainmaker. You might have your Ripcord Rainmaker. You might have your counter Ripcord Rainmaker. Well, I've got all of these high-fly flow variants now. It's also funny seeing Okada go to the same moves, both when he's being defensive and when he's being offensive. As we were saying that in the past he goes for the Rainmaker and the Tombstone, to put Tanahashi away, and usually those are the moves that do put him away, but in this match and in other matches, especially the ones where he loses, those are the ones that he's actually having to do to just keep Tanahashi away for a while. So it's almost like he's got a more limited move set than Tanahashi maybe, but it's just always effective for him. You can't really hit a defensive high fly flow. The key to the match though is that Tanahashi is just always one step ahead of Okada when it goes into the second half of the match. I guess it's the ultimate example of a, a game of two halves which we've had so much of in the World Cup that this has been a, a match of two halves. And that what Tanahashi maybe has even been taking on a rope-a-dope strategy because he thinks that he can go on into the deeper waters that Okada can't because... Okada's so overconfident going in that he doesn't even think he'll be that much of a challenge and then when he doesn't get his way it starts to upset him and freak him out a bit more. It's one of those as well where uh, even like his last little flashes Okada, not really like strung together sequences, it, it, it's him really scraping the bottom of his barrel. So the story is great, the action is great but maybe it's because of the first half feeling like it has almost an air of perfunctoriness or it's not as exciting or involving, which I think is a, even if it makes psychological sense and for the story that it's telling, I think it's because maybe it reminds me a bit too much of how formulaic some of Okada's later matches have become when I watch them, that it is just usually this Okada controlling until he does the Rainmaker pose and then the other guy finally gets an opening in the later portions of the match. And then it's just a question of, can they be resilient enough or does Okada's just inherent superiority ultimately put them away it just wasn't quite up with the perfection of the matches that the other ones have and maybe this tells the story it intends to tell but just this story didn't quite grip me as much as dominion invasion attack and king of pro wrestling yeah and i think that's like a great way to summarize the match it is a really really great match but it's just something's not quite there it's still an amazing match. It's only in comparison to everything else that a match only being somewhere around the four and a half to four and three quarters range is a disappointment. No, I meant comparatively. I meant comparatively. Yeah, comparatively. But the story of this match is that it's still part of an ongoing narrative and that Okada 
isn't where he thought he was with his previous victory over Tanahashi. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just one of those, unfortunately, it's what it's against. And that he thought Tanahashi will no longer give him any trouble because he hasn't fought him in 14 months. And the last time he did, Tanahashi threw everything at him and it still wasn't good enough. And he had everything to lose and he lost everything, at least he thought in that moment. And so that did give Okada this false sense of security and Tanahashi just surprised him by giving him more than he bargained for, maybe more than he was prepared to receive. Yeah, and he's not prepared for it, like you say. So I think what this match is most famous for is actually what happened after the match, where Okada's walking out, and whilst he's trying to cover his face up for the majority of that time he's walking, obviously he knows at some point he has to reveal the tears that he is crying to the camera, because that's the defining thing that we remember this match by yeah and again is probably the showing that it is now okada that is the ultimate protagonist that we are in okada's story we're not really in tanahashi's story anymore or at least that's where our sympathies are supposed to lie now depending on whether you look at it whether you look at it from okada's perspective which is this person that thinks he's done everything right he even had stopped tanahashi being a legitimate challenger and it seems like he's almost been usurped unfairly and then he can't get it done yet again in the main event, and he hasn't yet won a main event because Tanahashi's beaten him twice and then just taken the main event from him by a fan vote in the other time when it seemed like Okada had completely you know, dismissed him from this position. And maybe there's just that sense of Okada's all-is-lost moment, like maybe he'll never get it done. Maybe he will always be second to Tanahashi's position because Tanahashi manages to find a way through even after everything that Okada's beaten him with and everything that Okada had resolved, he thought, with the King of Pro Wrestling match. And that's the way of looking at it if you're sympathetic to Okada. But if you're more sympath- if you're a Tanahashi fan or you just flat don't like Okada because he has got that cocky character that makes him easily unlikable, his tears can be perceived as that of the spoiled brat that just hasn't got what he feels entitled to and he's just feeling sorry for himself. Like the pleasure some of us have taken in the recent tears of the man that I always say Okada's 50% of in one Cristiano Ronaldo. (laughs) I do love that Tanahashi, as Okada's going away crying, is... I, I don't know what Tanahashi was saying to Okada in that moment, but I do get the sense... He was highly amused at how upset Okada was. And he's basically given that snot-nosed brat a lesson that he won't forget anytime soon. (laughs) Not like a squeaky, squeaky clean baby face. He will still take piss. (laughs) Obviously, uh, the next match we talk about is at the next Wrestle Kingdom. So uh, is is this a table-setting match for that? Well, I think it fits in with the story that they're telling. Whether that meant that this was always seen as just like a, a setup to a bigger match that will be a better match to them, I don't know that that's the case. I think they went out to have as perfect a match as they could. And I'm sure to many people they did. I'm sure there are people that will say this is their favourite match. Maybe because of that story of Tanahashi coming back from seemingly being doomed at the halfway point and it not being as ridiculously long as some of the other matches have been, utterly understand that this being their favourite story, but it wasn't for me. Because this just, to me, felt like Act 2 of the Wrestle Kingdom trilogy of stories, where Tanahashi beats Okada the first time in a way of him solidifying his position, then he beats him the second time when it seemed like he would never even get to be that champion again. 
But Okada finally learns the lessons he needs to learn in order to become the true ace of the promotion. So as I've said before, I'm giving this match four and three quarter stars. Uh, Simon, would you go along those lines too? Yeah, well, again, for me, it's it's one of those because with what, especially with the nature of how we're like watching all these things back to back to back to back, it doesn't stand out compared to the others. So I would probably, I'm inclined to go four and three quarters as well. Like many really good wrestlers. Many people's favourite wrestlers, wrestlers that we've covered in the Meltzer Five Star Project. Some of those wrestlers will have never had a match as good as this Wrestle Kingdom 9 main event between Okada and Tanahashi. And yet, Okada and Tanahashi have had better matches than this. It's the company it's in. That's it, absolutely. Nail on the head. So we're going to be back. A year from now in the world of wrestling in the past that we're covering, but only a day from now in the uploading schedule. Why the hell have we done this to ourselves? Simon, if people want to get in touch with you in the interim, how can they do so? They can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of high fly flows Tanahashi hit in his finishing sequence. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in for another tissue, Mr. Okada. That's my Twitter handle, Facebook, letterbox. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something, and I hope you'll stay with us as we continue to rerun the rivalry. Well, I'm in.